We thank you, Father, for bringing our missionaries in safely, and we look forward to an exciting time of sharing and hearing of what you're doing around the world. Uh, we ask your blessings upon our Sunday school session this morning. We pray, O oh Lord, that you will give us an opportunity to get an inside view from our missionaries in terms of testimonies and be able to entertain any questions we may have in advance of the service this morning. We pray for those who may still be on the streets traveling. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would please grant them traveling mercies that they may indeed get here safely. And so we commit this time to you and ask your blessings. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Pastor, follow. Uh, good morning, colleagues, so that, and colleagues and brothers and sisters, so that we do maximize the limited amount of time that we have this morning. I want to introduce to you our missionary uh, for this morning and for this week, who will be sharing with us for most of the week uh, of this conference. And if you're familiar with a toothache, this one is your chin ache. So we would like to welcome Ui Chin Ache, who was with us in 2008. And uh, what a blessing he's been to us then, who is working in the ministries of Asia Pacific and ministering there uh, where those persons may not have had uh, regular, stable um, Christian churches to share the gospel. But as an evangelist, Ui Chin Ache has been in the forefront of that vanguard in the specific. Would you please welcome him at this time as he come and share with us what God is doing in his life. Well, thank you very much. I, uh, to say that I'm excited to be here is an understatement. All right, and uh, Bahamians are always uh, very warm people. Uh, you know, yesterday flying to the airport, uh, a whole host of tourists uh, particularly from the United States, I flew in from uh, New York via Miami and uh, into Nassau. And uh, you got a new airport compared to 2008 when I came. And the, on the board says, uh, Welcome to the Bahamas, the warmest place on earth. So I think it must mean the people, not the climate. Because usually you cannot compare with Malaysia. We are hot, we're not just warm, we are a hot place. You know, you sweat and it's uh, humid. Uh, well, it's good to be here amongst the uh, warm people of the Lord. All right? Now, uh, we go I hope we're going to have a challenging time, a stirring time where God will meet us individually as families over the limited time that uh, I'm going to be with you. I would have loved to have stayed on till the next Sunday. But as you get older, you know, uh, David and Ginny, you, you do have some obligations Two of my hometown best friends, uh, each only has a daughter, and the daughter is getting married. Uh, you know, so I got to make time for March the 10th Sunday. I couldn't finish a Sunday here and be in time in Kuala Lumpur on Sunday for the dinner. You know what I'm trying to say? Uh, there is one day about 13 hours ahead of you. So that's the reason why I have to fly back on Friday. In fact, I reach on almost Saturday itself just in time for church on Sunday. Uh, that's the main reason I hate to kind of uh, chop up your missions conference uh, into half, but that has to be done because people, I hope, get married only once. <laughs> you know, uh, In fact, uh, Sydney again, I've got to push the schedule another one week earlier to come back again. Uh, another friend, only one daughter getting married. And uh, well, 
I think the priority is uh, relationships, right? Uh, speaking engagements, you can always wait, and there will always be another time. Now, the topic for this uh, Bible class of yours, I hope is a lead-in to the other sessions that we will be doing. The theme given to me by Alan Simonet, Ampuzam's uh, better half, Sorry? By Michael, not Alan. But he's always been corresponding with me. And uh, the theme given is the urgency of evangelism for the world today. And so we're looking at the urgency of the gospel, right? Uh, I should wait for Sunday after the main service to, to say a bit more how things are going to flow. But as a lead-in, to this topic, I want to look at today, if you have pen and paper, we can look at some Bible passages, and I want to look at, uh, as an introduction, just before the main service, on the whole ministry of defending the gospel. If you're going to advance the gospel, uh, you're going to share the gospel, you really got to know what is the gospel that you're trying to share? What is the message? Uh, The second thing is, what are some of the currents and trends that are challenging the authenticity of the gospel or the purity of the gospel? All right? So I have been given an hour. i tell you how our time is going to flow. I'm trying to look for some big clocks somewhere. I don't see them anywhere. So I got to uh, look at my own little watch here. I will try to take 40 to 45 minutes. Uh, if you're anywhere near the Americans... Uh, they love to ask questions. Even before you have anything to say, they'll raise their hands and ask questions. You're not that Asian, right? You're not a shy people. So I'm going to give you about 15 minutes or so to respond, to comment, and to raise questions on this whole subject of defending the gospel. All right. Would you then please turn with me, firstly, to Galatians. The book of Galatians, turn with me to chapter 1. One of the heart-hitting letters of the Apostle Paul as he wrote to the church in Galatia because the gospel is under attack. And he is telling the church, stay on with the gospel that I gave to you. Anybody who brings any kind of gospel is distorting the gospel. It's another gospel. It is no gospel. Alright, let's read it. Galatians chapter 1 verses 6 to 11. Paul writing to the church in Galatia. Now, you need to understand that the background of this letter is that uh, legalistic Judaizers, those who held on to legalistic Judaism, has infiltrated the church in Galatia, and they're telling the believers, it's not enough for you to be saved by grace alone, because the gospel that Paul preached is a gospel of free grace, and you don't add any more thing to it to get saved. And they're telling the church, You cannot be a Christian just by believing that alone. you got to get circumcised. If you're not circumcised, you're not really the people of God. You're not really receiving the good news. So Paul writes, alright, to contend for the gospel. Look at verse 6 of Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 to 11, for those of you who are coming in. I am astonished that you're so quickly, look at the strong words he used, deserting. The one who called you by the grace of Christ. Look at the word grace there. And are turning to a different gospel. 
So could you underline the word different gospel? In other words, the legalistic Judaizers are preaching a different gospel from that which the Apostle Paul preached. And Paul says this different gospel, which is really no gospel. So any different gospel other than the apostolic gospel, uh, to be more specific, other than the Pauline gospel, is a different gospel and no gospel. All right? Some people, evidently some people, are throwing you into confusion. So these are words you need to take note of. Huh? Different gospel, no gospel, confusion. The church seems to be confused and trying to pervert the gospel. Look at all the strong words the Apostle Paul is using. Different gospel, no gospel, confusion, perversion of the pure gospel. But even, oh, this is strong stuff. Twice in these uh, few verses, the Apostle Paul called upon a curse. Now, no other parts in the epistle that he wrote, he calls upon a curse to such people. Alright? The Greek word for it, those of you interested, is anatima esto. Let him be accursed. So he says now, even if we, any of the apostolic band, alright, or the apostolic circle, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. Are they strong words? Very strong words. Paul is invoking a curse for people. Uh, as I think about angel giving another gospel, by the way, uh, most of you are not so familiar, but when you think about Islam, uh, the whole thing about Islam is also a revealed religion. Uh, their prophet says that he received it from Angel Gabriel. You know, it's a literal transcript from heaven, and he is simply reciting what he received from the angel. So you see the relevance of Paul's words here. Even if an angel were to give you something different than that which we give you, let that angel be accursed. Of course, it's not true that Angel Gabriel gave him this stuff. All right, we won't go more into that. But uh, twice in these few verses, Paul calls upon a curse. Again, verse 9. As we have already said, so now I say it again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, that you originally received, let him be eternally condemned. So twice. A curse was called upon people who preach a different gospel, a perversion of the gospel that is confusing the church. Now verse 10. Now Paul says, alright, the origin of his gospel now, the origin of Paul's gospel. Now am I trying to win the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of God. Alright, verse 11 now. The origin of Paul's gospel. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preach is not something that man made up. Listen, uh, most of the non-revealed religions in the world, faith in the world, are man-made up. Whether it's Confucianism, whether it's Shintoism, whether it's Buddhism, whether it's Taoism, all the different isms. Uh, you go to the West, you can talk about humanism. You can talk about secularism. All kinds of gospels are being peddled around. But they are what? Man-made gospels. They are not sent down. Paul says, I did not receive it from any man. Nor was I taught it. No man teach me that gospel. What did he say? Rather, 
I received it, that gospel, what? By revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, this harks back, by the way, to Paul's Damascus experience. You remember he was a, a, a furious persecutor of the church. In fact, he was on the way on the Damascus road trying to get more Christians and put them behind bars. You know, because uh, if you look again in Galatians, he talks about himself advancing in Judaism way beyond his own age. For verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. What was his previous way of life before Paul became a Christian? How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried even to destroy the church. It's amazing. He is a very committed Judaizer. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many Jews of my own age and was extremely zealous for the tradition of my fathers. Now, you can read on. But Paul goes back to the Damascus Road experience where the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, appeared to him. You remember the story? Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You know, just... So it's interesting how the Lord identifies himself with the church. That when the church is persecuted, Christ himself feels the pain and the persecution. Alright? Okay. Now I want you now to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Turn with me. Take down the verses and I hope that uh, this will be one of the very useful definitions of the Christian gospel. So because of the word gospel, everybody has other gospels, uh, I want to, first of all, answer the question, what is the Christian gospel? What is the biblical gospel? 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 to 5 in particular. I want you to underline the word received. The gospel that we have today as a church is a received gospel. It is a revealed gospel. So once again, the word received comes. Paul himself now writing to the church in Corinth say in verse 13, chapter, sorry, verse 3 of chapter 15, for what I received. You got that word? I didn't made it up. Nobody taught me. I received it on the, on the Damascus road. What I received. All right. I pass on to you. You see, it's passed on to the church, a revealed gospel. As of first importance. Alright, now, there is a content to the revealed gospel. So what is the content of the message that we are trying to protect? That people don't add to it, or people don't subtract from it, or people don't try to distort it. Uh, can I use an American word? Amend it. Americans like amendment. All these gun laws, now you, you, you're violating our second amendment. Right? CNN interviewed people that were up in arms, they were polling against this chap. I can't remember now who was doing the interview. Get him out! He's an Irishman. He's coming here to destroy our Second Amendment. Let's evict him from America. He has no business <laughs> conducting this interview about his arms limitation. You got that? I can't remember the name of the guy now. So, alright, let, let me come. That, it's close to your shores. Huh? Once in a while, I have to refer to, to your neighbor called America. So what's the content of the Gospel? That Christ... Alright, so the first thing about the gospel is, the gospel is about Christ. I use a big theological word now. The gospel that we have is Christocentric. It's always centered on Christ. Alright, what about Christ? 
that Christ died for our sins. So the gospel we have is the gospel of the atonement. Anything that dilutes the atonement, deviates from the atonement or the necessity of the atonement is no gospel. In other words, anything that does not speak of the death of Christ, I use words now, eh? the vicarious substitutionary atonement of Christ is no gospel. Vicarious because he's suffering on our behalf, substitutionary because Christ is our substitute. We should have been there, but God sent him there as a substitute for us. All right? So anything that doesn't touch on the death of Christ, the vicarious, efficacious, substitutionary atonement of Christ is no gospel. Islam, for example, uh, would say that, you know, actually Christ didn't die on a cross. Somebody like him died on a cross. Uh, the Lord wouldn't have crucified his prophet. God wouldn't have crucified his prophet. So somebody that looked like him was substituted. He didn't die on the cross. So it was a denial of what? Of the atonement of Christ. Are you with me? So there's no gospel because Christ didn't die for us. Somebody died instead. The second thing about the gospel, uh, other than the atonement, okay, so the proof that Christ died was what? He was buried. You only bury dead people, right? You don't bury people alive. So he was buried because he died. And the second part of the gospel has to do with the resurrection. That he, Christ, again you see the focus is on Christ, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And really the subsequent verses to prove the resurrection of Christ, that a dead man rose again after dying on the cross, Christ, was that he made a lot of resurrection appearances. Otherwise, how do you know he rose again from the dead? He appeared. So Paul said what? He appeared first to Peter. And then he appeared to the twelve. After that, verse 6, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Now, this is one of the apologetics that it wasn't hallucination. Maybe the apostles love him so much, they kind of hallucinate. Oh, we saw him, we saw him, you know. <laughs> but 500 people could not be hallucinating at the same time. Are you with me? It's just not possible that 500 people had the same hallucination and saw him at the same time. So it was a real bodily resurrection appearance of the Lord Jesus, and most of whom are still living. In other words, if you don't believe me, go and ask them. <laughs> they are still around. They are first-hand witness to the gospel. And then Paul says, then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and Paul said, now Damascus will experience, and last of all, in verse 8, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. Okay, so we are called to defend the gospel. Uh, you can look at Philippians chapter 1, verse 7. Whether I am in chains, Paul writing, or defending or confirming the gospel, you know, he's thanking the church that you are with me. You stand side by side with me. All right, three things then I would say. And then uh, very quickly, I want to look at the seven things, seven trends against which the gospel is being attacked today. Okay? So that will give you hopefully some Bahamian perspective. But because it's a course, it's a session, it's a theme on world evangelism, I got to take you to Asia with me. I got to take you to Europe. I got to take you to other parts of the world. Are you happy to go on a trip? Okay, it's a trip for the gospel. So three things, let me say very quickly in summary, as an introduction. What is the Christian gospel? Firstly, the Christian gospel is the biblical gospel. The Christian gospel is the apostolic gospel. The Christian gospel is a revealed gospel. The Christian gospel is a received gospel. And the Christian gospel is a 
Christocentric gospel. So you got that? All right, I can repeat that. I get four things about the gospel, or five things uh, about the gospel uh, as, as a primer. The Christian gospel, not other gospels, is number one, a biblical gospel. It's Bible-based. It's not based on some other books. The Christian gospel is an apostolic gospel. It's the gospel that the apostles preach. That's the gospel that the church received. Got that? The Christian gospel is a revealed gospel. It's not a man-made gospel. Man thought up. I went to meditate under a bow tree. That's Buddhism. <laughs> so I'm giving you the gospel, how to get out of suffering, how to find happiness or nirvana. All right? Uh, the Christian gospel is a received gospel. It is revealed and received and been passed on. Okay? And finally, the Christian gospel is a Christocentric gospel. There is no gospel without Christ, his death, and his resurrection. So these two things must always be there. Otherwise, it's no gospel. So different gospels are no gospel. And let that person, according to scriptures, let even the angel who tried to do something different be accursed. Very strong words. Huh? So very often we talk about benediction in the church. It's an invocation of blessing, isn't it, upon people who come. We're going to bless you. The Lord bless you. The Lord make His face shine upon you. This is invocation of God's blessing. Paul is now invoking curse on anybody who tempers with the gospel that has been preached to them. Okay? Alright, let me begin now. What are the seven trends against the gospel? I've got 20 minutes to do my seven trends. I'll tell you some stories. And then I would like to invite questions, all right? The topic today is defending the gospel. So I've given to you what is the gospel. You've got to know the gospel before you defend it. Otherwise, you don't even know what am I defending. <laughs> You've got to know what is the message, what is the content of which I'm called to defend. The first defense is against Judaism. That's where we begin. In the book of Galatians, Paul is defending the gospel against legalistic Judaizers. What are they doing? They are coming in to distort the gospel. Judaism, let me say to you, Islam, can I add some more now? Buddhism and many other kinds of religions that we see in the world today, take the two words now, very important, they are what you call works righteousness religions. Work it, do it your way. Alright? Uh, so they are the people who say you can do it your way and still get there, get to heaven. Judaism is primarily centered on, I need to obey all the requirements of the law in order to make it there. So it's supposed to me in the law, but you can never do it. That's why Paul had to get out of it. It's a gospel of what? Free grace. So most religions in Asia are what you call works righteousness. Uh, if you like a song by Frank Sinatra, the most unchristian words in any song you can find around is, I did it my way. That's no gospel. <laughs> you got to come God's way, not I do it my way. I wish Jack Nicklaus was a Christian. In the last interview, I got some time to, to watch TV, CNN, uh, while I was away in New York. You know, he's a grandfather now, 72. 
And the guy interviewed him, other than the fact that he had uh, 18 majors under his cap, one 18 majors. You know, Tiger Woods is trying to chase records. He said, uh, on, your, on your tombstone, and now he's a grandfather of uh, uh, 22 children. I'm sure, uh, David, you're going to beat him huh? very soon, the record. You've got 18 now, all right? Uh, he says, so what, what would you like to be remembered as on your gravestone? I can tell he's not a Christian. There's no mention of God and Christ. He said, well, I would like to be remembered as a, a good father. Nothing wrong with that. And a good person. <laughs> you see, a lot of uh, people, particularly in the West, in Europe, in Canada, in America, and maybe even in the Bahamas, uh, many of them think that, you know, I, I don't rape people, I don't cheat, I'm not corrupt. I'm a good person. I give money to charity. I do a lot of good works. And I think based on my record, I should be able to make it. Are you with me? It's all about works righteousness. Paul would have none of that. All right, let me quickly say something else today. Uh, across in America and some parts of the world, I think, I, I think there's a lot of confusion in theology. I remember having a conversation with a deacon of a conservative church. I won't tell you which one, good friend of mine. He was trying to argue with me. He says, you know, actually the Jews, the Muslims, and the Christians, listen carefully, all of us are addressing the same God. We have the same roots, you know, Jehovah. You know, Old Testament, Semitic roots and all. Are you telling me that's not true? I said, I won't argue with me on Old Testament, but Christianity is not just based on the Old Testament. How many of agree say Christianity is also based on the New Testament? Are you with me? And uh, the... The God that a Christian address is a very specific God. Alright, again, let me tell you something. Always apply the test of Christ if you're not sure about any doctrine. That would show the thing out whether it's Christian or otherwise. So I said, take down Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. I said to that friend of mine who was a former deacon of a church, I said, brother... You go and ask the Muslims. You go and ask the, the Jews whether the person they address is the f God. Ephesians 1.3, take it down. Whether he is God, it's very specific, not some generic God, okay? He, whether he is God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you with me? That's again a crystal sentence. If the Jews say, yeah, we, we're addressing him, and I say, okay, we're talking about the same person. If the Muslims say, yeah, yeah, we're addressing him, then yes, brothers and sisters, we're addressing him. I'm telling you, they'll never say yes. Are you with me? They will never say he's the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, the Jews wanted to crucify the Lord because he says, I, my father, are one. Huh? <laughs> let's, let's nail him to the cross. So again, we have to apply what you call the Christocentric test. The test of Christ. Is he God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ? That's God. The, the Christian God that the Apostle Paul addressed in Ephesians 1.3. The Jews, Muslims will never say yes to that. So I don't argue with you, Semitic roots, El and Jehovah and all that stuff. That's okay, but Christianity is not just based on the Old Testament. Everybody agrees, say Amen. Yeah, you've got to also look at the New Testament. And now that Paul has crossed the line from being a Pharisee, you know, to, to become a Christian, what's the difference? 
Uh, there are some liberal theologians, I give it to you now, uh, Walter Brueggemann, when I was studying theology, he would say, leave the Jews alone, they can be saved on the terms of their old covenant. If that were the case, what do you think the Apostle Paul is trying to do <laughs> in, the, in the first century? Why do you think they are trying to crucify him? He got to be lowered on a basket to escape. Remember all the stories in Acts? They were chasing, going after him. Why do you think Paul is setting up the hall of Tyrannus in the book of Acts and asking the Jews, come on, let's come and have a dialogue. I'll talk a bit more of the dialogue. He is trying to convince them that Christ is the Messiah. Christ is crucified, is the Savior. Uh, you, need, you cannot be saved on the terms of your covenant. You need to cross over just like me and be a Christian. Are you with me? So Jews cannot be saved on the terms of the old covenant. There is a movement within the liberal wings of the church that say, leave them alone. The terms of the old covenant is good enough to get them there. If that's the case, what do you think Paul is doing all this while? Going to the Jewish synagogues and giving them the gospel. Are you with me? Okay, let me move on. So, alright. Uh, second thing, the defense is against liberalism. You know all that. Uh, some of our mainline churches, unfortunately, you know, I can't trace up to when, uh, but liberalism... Uh, had its origin in the what G.I. Packer, my professor, would say in the demon king of theology. Uh, it started during the time of the Enlightenment, the enthronement of reason, the age of reason. And this chap called uh, Friedrich Schleiermacher, don't worry about his spelling, it's a funny spelling, I don't have a board to, but Friedrich Schleiermacher, uh, he wrote trying to accommodate a Christian faith to the people who enthroned the age of enlightenment and reason and addressed to the cultured despisers of our time. Because they despise the Christian faith is a review faith. They don't believe in miracles. So we've got to explain it away somehow. Jesus walked on water. Not really walked on water. He appeared to be walking on water, trying to explain away miracles and all that kind of stuff. But liberalism, uh, let me give it to you in a nutshell, is no gospel, the liberal gospel, because it is a social gospel. You can get saved just by becoming a social do-gooder. That's all. Just love people, follow the moral teachings of Christ, do good, and you get there. Are you with me? Again, there's no mention of the need for repentance, the need for forgiveness of sins. Are you with me? The need for sins to be washed away. You don't need all that. Just, just be a good guy. What did Christ teach? Just follow him and you, you get there. Okay? Now, before I forget, I got a lot of stories because I went to New York. I, I had breakfast. Uh, sorry, I had lunch just before I left with a, with a pastor of the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. You may have heard of it. It's the largest Chinese church, CMA church in Queen Harrow in Flushing. It's about 1,400. They just bought over a Jewish synagogue, spent over 3 million renovating it. I had lunch with a pastor, a good friend of mine. And he said, you know, I've attended about four to five national prayer breakfasts. You know that one in America. They have... The president is there, Congress people are there, Christians are there. And uh, he said, I'm disappointed. I, I'm not that happy with Obama. <laughs> Although he keeps trying to defend the fact that he's a Christian. And he says, you know, faith is very important to me. But he's a bit wooly-wooly, too general, wishy-washy. Are you with me? He is not Christocentric enough. So some people just like being a Christian and they like the fact that Jesus is just a good moral teacher. I like all the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, are you with me? And I try to follow after it because I like the moral teachings of the Bible. 
And that's where I think the liberal church is coming from. Just, just take it for moral examples, moral teachings. Okay? So, uh, the social gospel is no gospel. Why? Again, Christocentric test, because it never mentions the atonement, the necessity of the atoning death of Christ. Are you with me? You just be a good person. Follow the moral teachings of Jesus. You get there. Okay? No, you won't be alright. <laughs> it's another gospel. It's a distortion of the gospel. It's a different gospel. And together with the Apostle Paul, we will say, let him be accursed. Because this is what the Bible says. Alright, let me move on now. The third trend is against legalism. Alright, if I take the cue from Judaism as a legalistic religion, works righteousness, in the context of Galatians, Paul is saying, these people are coming to distort the gospel of grace. Alright, the equation is this. They are saying, it has got to be, for it to be a gospel, it has got to be grace plus something else. Otherwise, it's no salvation. So the legalistic Judaizers are saying, it has got to be grace plus circumcision. Then you get salvation. Are you with me? Alright, let me give you a modern example now. But let me first differentiate. In the United States, you have a church called the Church of Christ. Anybody heard of Church of Christ? Okay, now this is quite different from the Church of Christ in Australia, okay? Although they bear the same name. The Church of Christ in Australia is very evangelical. But this Church of Christ, I think from the United States, will say, you're not a Christian yet until you are baptized by water. Is that what it teaches? You've got to be baptized by water, otherwise you're not saved. So again, this is a distortion of the gospel, although we have no quarrels with baptism. Are you with me? But you cannot tie water baptism as a necessary condition for salvation. Are you folks with me? So they are saying grace plus water baptism equals to salvation. Paul say nonsense. Okay? Or grace plus circumcision. Or grace plus something else. It is the gospel, listen carefully, the gospel that Paul preached, the biblical gospel is equal to grace plus nothing else. Equals to salvation. Everybody, are you with me? Okay. So remember, uh, you may get all kinds of variations of the gospel coming this way from whichever shores and all. So we have to defend it against works, righteousness, religion, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, etc. We've got to defend the gospel today against liberalism, social gospel. Uh, just be good, do social work, do good, and you get there. We have to defend the gospel against legalism, grace plus something else. We have to defend the gospel against the fourth trend is universalism. Very common in the liberal West, Europe. Universalism simply says, actually, all roads lead to heaven. There's some intrinsic good and revelation in everybody. You just follow the little candlelight inside you. You get there. Are you with me? Alright, whether you want to chant the mantra and go for Tibetan Eastern mysticism, uh, whatever you, you like to do, uh, you want to be a Hindu, also can, you want to be this and that, everybody gets there somehow. All roads lead to heaven. Okay, so you Christian, don't be so bigot, bigot, <laughs> bigotry, you people are bigots, you're very exclusivist. You know, in the modern era, just like good politicians, I'm an inclusivist. Same-sex marriage is also okay, are you with me? And that's what's happening in America. 
Alright, but the Christian gospel is always exclusivist. I put it to you, that's why the Christian church is so persecuted even today. Because when we defend the exclusive gospel, take down Acts 4.12. The Apostle Paul, not Paul now, Acts 4, Paul hasn't come on the Peter, Acts 4.12 says what? There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Not the pantheon of the Romans and the Greek gods. Against all this Eastern mysticism, pantheon of uh, Caesar is Lord and the pantheon of the Greek gods, the early Christian says, Jesus is Lord. Only one way. And that's why the early church is persecuted. Are you with me? Can I say the same thing today in the 21st century? When we insist and preach on the exclusive gospel, I use the word now, not inclusive, Christ and Christ alone. Uh, we are not going to be liked. Why are you so different? <laughs> Why are you making life tough? <laughs> you know? Why don't we just dialogue? Let's try to reduce the tension. You know? Let's dialogue. Let's find some common denominator where we can agree so that there's no tension, alright? <laughs> that kind of stuff. So Paul would have none of that. Okay? So universalism, all roads lead to heaven, but Acts 4.12 says, or John 14.6 John 14, says, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. Very exclusive. Again, it's a Christocentric test. Okay? Alright, the fifth trend. Take it down very quickly. The fifth defense is against secularism. I'm going to say a bit more in a, in a, in a service afterwards. But enough to say that secularism has no God. Okay? Uh, New Age is you are God. Are you with me? New Age is, a, is one step beyond positive humanism. Uh, humanism, positive humanism say man is good. Education will make him better. New Age says, man is not just good, man is God. <laughs> Alright, popularized by Shirley Temple, is it? And the rest. Secularism says what? There is no God. You decide. There is no such thing as uh, the Christian gospel is true. There is no such thing as absolutes. You decide. If you think it's true, it's true. If you think it's false, it's false. <laughs> you are the authority. You are the arbiter of truth. It is centered not on God, on the Bible, on some revealed source. Centered on you, brother. You decide <laughs> what do you want to believe. And that's true. <laughs> Whatever you believe is good, is good. Whatever you believe is bad, is bad. You know, so you, you are the center of everything. So we have to uh, defend the gospel against what? Secularism. Can I say this? Although uh, Bahamas may have a strong Christian root and history, be careful, because the world is heading that way. The world is heading that way. We don't believe in God anymore. Especially amongst the younger generation, the baby busters. Uh, those who are born after the 1980s. And many of them don't believe in absolute truth. Okay. The sixth one, very quickly. I think we are doing good time. And then I open for questions. We have to defend the gospel against humanism. Alright, of course there are two kinds of humanism, but coming from the West, particularly to the age of the Enlightenment, age of reason, uh, where there's a flowering of inventions, flowering of the arts and everything, 
man has kind of come of age and they are very positive about mankind. So they call it positive humanism. Positive humanism simply says that by reason, by education, by more scientific progress, etc., etc., we'll get there. We're getting better and better. And the world is going to get better and better with education, with technological advancement. All right? It's positive humanism says that, well, I'm a good person, you know. <laughs> and if, I think based on my good record, I should get there. That's positive humanism. If there's a God, I, I should get there. The last one we have to defend is against uh, agnosticism. It's also prevalent in the West. The agnostics are not uh, like the secularists who say there's no God or atheists. The agnostics simply say, even if there is a God, I am not sure if he can be found. Are you with me? So I'm not committed whether there's a God. I, I, I just have no comments. Maybe he's there, maybe he's not there. I don't know. And we can never be sure. All right. So how do you defend against people who say, I'm not sure? Again, brothers and sisters, it's the test of Christ. It's not what I want to believe. It's what Christ says. That God has fully and finally spoken in His Son. Are you with me? Take down Hebrews 1, one. You know, God has never left Himself without revelation since Genesis 1 and 2. Uh, a God of the Bible is a God who speaks. He's not a dumb God. Uh, theologians will say that God speaks in two main ways. There are many ways that God speaks to people. God speaks through the, if you read Psalm 9, uh, take down Psalm 9, Psalm 18, it's a Bible study. Uh, God speaks through the book of nature. The heavens declare His handiwork. Isn't it what it says? The skies and all that is made, wonderful things and all. So theologians will say God speaks through two books. The book of nature. The second way in which God speaks is through the book of Scripture. So Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, in many and various ways, God spoke to our forefathers by the prophets. And then the author to the Hebrews says, but in these last days, we're going to talk about evangelism in the end times, somewhere along the line, in the trends. What, are, what is so different about evangelism in the 21st century? We're living very close to the coming of Christ. It's the end times. So nothing to be shocked about. The decline of morality. Uh, I think in the eight years of uh, Obama presidency, the moral high ground of the United States is severely reduced. Are you folks with me? Now, we Asians don't look up to America anymore. Terrible place. Uh, both the wonderful and the weird things come from America. Okay, let me, let me move on. So how do you combat a defense against agnosticism? Christ. You cannot claim innocence now. Because Christ has come, Christ has spoken, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again. And He's going to hold you accountable for that. Are you with me? Alright, so I conclude now. Defending the gospel. Uh, we defend against what? Works righteousness religion. We defend against liberalism. We defend against legalism. We defend it against universalism. We defend it against secularism. These are some of the trends. We defend it against positive humanism. And we defend the gospel against agnosticism. Even if you claim you're not sure, that's not good enough. 
Because Christ has come, Christ has spoken, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ is coming again to judge the both. So we defend it to the test of Christ. Okay, if you're not sure, always apply the test of Christ. Is it a cult? Is it a deviation from the gospel? The test of Christ. All right, final word about the word defense, and then open for about 10 minutes of questions. When we talk about the word defending, sometimes in the modern century in which we live in, it seems very fashionable that people of different faiths is going to come to the Bahamas. Okay, you may be a Christian country, but you know, we are Muslims, we are here. You know, we are Buddhists. You know, we are communists. I see that the Republic of China is here now. You've got an embassy. It wasn't there, I think, when I came in 2008. I don't remember seeing it anyway. And they say, why don't we come and dialogue? It's creating too much tension because you people are bigots, you know. You're making exclusive claims. Can we, can, can we find some ways to agree to disagree and live happily ever after, you know? Don't preach a gospel to us. Let's dialogue. All right? Let me just say that Christian dialogue is not the way some liberal Christians go into it. Let's pray. And you, everybody can address God, whichever name you want to call him. You just pray. And I'm done. By the way, talking about the National Prayer Breakfast, this friend of mine, the pastor who's been to four or five National Prayer Breakfasts in America, about 3,000 people are there, holding a hotel. And he tells me, one of these chaps, apparently Christian, maybe a liberal guy, could be a congressman, I think, you know, opening prayer. And his opening prayer was this, listen, God, whoever you are, after praying, uh, we pray this in your name. And that pastor said, I couldn't say amen to that prayer. He doesn't know who he's addressing. And he didn't, he didn't use in the name of Jesus. So what's in your name? Whoever you are. I don't know your name, but whoever you are. Is this an nebulous thing? Again, it fails what you call the Christocentric test. Are you with me? So dialogue. Finally, in the Bible, if you look at Paul, remember, for two years he was in the hall. He set up a school, the Hall of Tyrannus. And he called the Jews, come on, come and see me, let's dialogue. Formerly I was one of you, now I'm a Christian. So what's the difference? Can we come and dialogue? Paul is not trying to say, can we find some... Of course there are plenty of commonalities between the Christian faith and Judaism. Are you with me? He's not trying to say, let's try and find all the common factors and let's agree to disagree and live happily ever after. That's not the biblical dialogue. Dialogue you might. Paul is dialoguing with the Jews with the view listen carefully, of convincing them that Jesus is the Messiah. That's why they couldn't accept it. Are you with me? So dialogue in Scripture, if you want to follow a biblical dialogue, it's not just, let's reduce tension. Let's find the least common denominator else and, and agree to disagree and be happy. And everybody pray their own God. <laughs> it is not like that. I'm trying to convince you that Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the only way. That is biblical dialogue. So we don't waste time in trying to find the least common denominator around the world. Whenever we dialogue, we dialogue with the view of convincing people that Christ is the only way. Are you folks with me? All right, I end the defense of the gospel with that note. Hope you've got the seven trends. And uh, Bahamas, in the modern world, uh, you may get a mixture of these seven trends coming to you. Huh? With with secularism, uh, communist Chinese coming, they're very secular. Um, uh, Europeans are very secular now, all these kind of trends. Okay, I think there's time for about 10 minutes of question and answers. Are you, are you folks happy? Uh, if you have a question, we wanted, it, everything has been recorded, so we want it on the 
Uh, microphone, please. Okay, let me come out so I don't appear to be lecturing and talking to you. Hi, you folks. Are you guys happy you managed to get some notes? Yeah, hopefully uh, this will be a, a little bit primer to, uh, to the morning session. We, we can talk more positive things afterwards, and uh, not just defending, but we want to talk about how we can confirm the gospel. What do you mean by confirming the gospel? And uh, what do you mean by partnership in the gospel? Okay, but uh, please feel Thank free. You. Any questions? Yes, brother. Thank you. Good morning. Yes. Um, you had mentioned, you said that uh, you felt like the reason why Christians are so persecuted is because of the exclusivism of the gospel. I think I feel like there's more to it than that because I think Muslim is exclusive. Um, if, if you talk to a Muslim, they feel like that's the way, their way. I feel like um, it's because it's the truth. Um, you, you present some of the truth. In other words, if I uh, went and believed that the tooth fairy brought me to heaven, I wouldn't probably be persecuted. But the persecution, I think, comes from more that, that Jesus is the only way and the truth. And I would say it's primarily because of that. Uh, and the Lord would say that, uh, you know, no servant is greater than his master. Uh, if they persecute me on account of me, they, people are not persecuting us because of who we are. Mm-hmm. It's because uh, we don't budge on Christ. It's on account of Christ that we bear his name, we bear the testimony, we bear the exclusive uh, good news uh, that they hated us because they hated him. That's what the Lord said. Amen. You know? So I think uh, it's on our, in our relationship to Christ, in our defense of the gospel of Christ, uh, it's in that kind of root that uh, we get persecuted. Okay? We are called bigots anyway. We, <laughs> we are exclusivists. Uh, and the modern world doesn't like exclusivists. Are you with me? Yeah. Well, why are you so special? Come on, come down. <laughs> Let's all be level, you know, level the whole thing. Thank you, brother. That's a good, good question. But I would say, uh, you, you may be right, the truth, but uh, that's a primary reason because of our identification with Christ. And since they persecute him, they will persecute us. It's on that note that we, we, we receive the persecution. If you let go of the exclusive gospel, you'll be buddy-buddy to everybody. <laughs> no problems. <laughs> you know? Just like Obama, no problems. <laughs> okay, good question. Good, good comment there, brother. Uh, somebody else. Yes, brother. He, here's one here. And... Uh, yeah, we can take a couple more questions. In addition to what you said, I believe that um, relatives, uh, everything is relative, tolerance and discrimination. Those three prongs are being used right now to try to interwoven and compromise on our values. Yes. Uh, in Australia today, uh, you know, even in the church pulpit, if you say something derogatory about Islam and a Muslim happens to attend a service, he could sue you in court. Are you with me? Right. Even in the context of Christian preaching in the church, you're hurting my sentiments. You're hurting my feelings. And I'm going to sue you. So this may be coming to Bahamas. Uh, are you with me? So I, I'm trying to tell you the heat is going to be turned on and on. It's going to get hot, not warm in Bahamas. <laughs> if you're going to be a, a good Christian <laughs> defending the gospel of Christ. So get ready for it. <laughs> Don't be surprised what's coming to your laws. Yes, brother. We live in a society where compromise is a good word and uncompromise is a bad word. Um, and what you say is right. Our dialogue is not to compromise or negotiate, it's to, to minister. Um, how do you deal with that as a missionary and trying to reach out to people where I said in 2013, compromise is a good word, uncompromise is a bad word. How do you deal with that in your work as a missionary? 
Well, I would deal with that by first principles. How did the early church and the apostles deal with that? Are you with me? So in one sense, uh, the early church, there were so few people. They had to deal with the might of Rome that said that Caesar is Lord. They had to deal with the uh, plurality of religions, Eastern mysticism, the pantheon of Greek gods. They are all there. The Jews with the uh, works righteousness religion, pantheon of Greek gods, uh, Caesar is Lord. And the early church, they were persecuted because of their exclusive message. Only Jesus is Lord. Hey, we don't accept that. So in the modern century, it's the same. We cannot compromise on the uniqueness, on the finality of Christ. Are you with me? There's no other way under heaven by which we must be saved. I want to stress again and again, the heat will be turned on. So get ready. It's going to get hot, not just warm over here in time to come. And I'm, I want to warn against a kind of dialogue that try to reduce persecution and pressure because you're not holding on to him. Let, let, let's try and not be too different. Let's, let's you know, <laughs> subtract a little here and then. Yes, brother. And then how do we answer uh, Paul saying he's becoming all things to all men, of course, to win them, but the process of becoming all things to okay. all men. So the apostolic principle, a missionary principle of becoming all things to all men is not compromising the message of the gospel. So one illustration was, let me try to recall the, the, the acts of the apostles where I think on one occasion he had somebody circumcised, on another occasion he did not insist on that. Okay, Of course for Paul, uh, circumcision is of no value. He, he says that in Romans, uh, so whether you do it or don't do it, it doesn't subtract from the gospel or add to the gospel. Uh, but sometimes, uh, just to uh, ease the conscience of the, the Jews, uh, certain things are done, and that's all. So it's a principle of, uh, well, if I do it or don't do it, I'm no better off. But if it's going to preserve goodwill, uh, just like uh, when I... Today, let's say I'm a Chinese, I like blood. I like to eat, I don't drink blood, but I like to eat blood, chicken blood. Ambuzam, are you with me? Pig's blood. I've got always a Malaysian sister to testify to all that. Don't you agree that Chinese like to eat blood? Yeah, those boiled stuff. But if I'm going to meet in a predominantly Jewish Christian church, I may refrain from that. I want to be all things to all men. I don't want to insist on my right. Nothing wrong, it doesn't compromise the gospel because of the Jewish conscience. They are not used to people eating blood in front of them and you don't enjoy it. It hurts their conscience. So it may affect table fellowship. Are you with me? So on that note, uh, when it doesn't compromise the gospel, let me give you the principle. When the gospel is not compromised, I can be all things to all men. Okay? Are you with me? That's a good missionary principle. But if it compromises the gospel, I will say, no, I cannot do that. So why do you think Paul was so angry with Peter? Because I think by his withdrawal from table fellowship, you are compromising the gospel of free grace. Don't you behave like that, Peter. Don't withdraw from table fellowship from the Gentiles because you are distorting the gospel of free grace. You are hinting that you guys better be circumcised. You want to eat with us. No. Hey, hello. Hello. This is a no-no. Are you with me? Okay. On that note, I think it should be... One more question and then we can end. You guys are still in the mood for questions. One more. That's a very good question. So, 
be flexible so long as the gospel is not compromised. So in the case of circumcision, on one occasion he circumcised one chap, on the other occasion he said he didn't circumcise. So he knows that it doesn't save no value, but just for goodwill, if you're happy, okay, we'll have him circumcised, but uh, it doesn't affect anybody. Are you with me? So like me, I'm a Chinese for goodwill. I refrain from taking blood in front of you, but I don't have problems with that. I give thanks and I enjoy my food, <laughs> you know. But if it's going to hurt you, brother, I'm not going to take it. Okay, so that we can have good table fellowship. Okay, one last question, if any, and then I think it'll be time to move on. Yes, sister, Ampuzam. I must this Ampuzam. Huh? I'm happy to have a Malaysian in the midst. I'm just joking. For all the meals that are not invited, I'm going to feel the word Ampusam, Ampusam, Ampusam. That's how I get fat. Okay, sorry, sister. <laughs> Thank you, brother. I just wanted to find out, you said gospel and grace. You know, certain Jews want circumcision as their salvation and the gospel and baptism. And the one you said gospel and um, nothing to salvation, in my understanding, it was gospel and accepting the Holy Trinity that Christ died for me was salvation. Why is it nothing? Oh, it's not gospel. It's grace plus something. So the gospel of salvation is grace plus nothing. So anybody who wants to add to the equation of salvation, say it has got to be grace plus circumcision. There's no gospel. It's got to be grace plus water baptism. That also is not the gospel. The gospel of Christ is grace plus nothing. It's a gospel of grace and grace alone. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 8, I think, by grace are you saved through faith, uh, not of works, uh, lest any man should boast. So, let me amplify on that. We are not saved by good works, Brother David. We are saved unto good works. Alright, the good works we do as a result of our salvation glorifies the Father. But it's not a means of salvation. It is an evidence of our salvation, outworking of our salvation. Okay? Alright, I think, can I end here, brothers and sisters? So that you have your tea and uh, 11 o'clock, we could be ready. Chairman, you're the boss. Where's the boss now? Over to you. I hope uh, with my jet lag and all the stuff, I'm doing okay with you people. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Uh, let, let's close in prayer, please. Our Father, thank you again for, for who you are. Thank you for immediate access into your presence. We thank you for what we have been exposed to this morning. Lord, we pray that you will embed this into our spirit so that we will be conscious and uh, cognizant of what is happening in the world today, but not only in the world, more specifically what is happening in the Bahamas or is coming into the Bahamas in more intensity. These things, Father, we ask that uh, in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. Uh, we trust that uh, you will pray for the conference that the Spirit of God will richly add his blessings all right, to the word and the testimony. Thank you, brothers and sisters.